This webcast is for informational purposes only. The content provided is solely the opinion of the speaker and is not intended to and does not constitute medical advice or diagnosis, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The opinions and information provided during the webcast are for informational and discussional purposes only, and the speaker does not warrant or guarantee the accuracy, completeness, adequacy, or currency of the content provided. This webcast is not a substitute for professional psychological treatment, advice, assistance, or services. Should you or a family member need help with any of the matters discussed during the program, please contact a competent, licensed professional for assistance. Any use of the information in this webcast shall be at the user's own risk. The speaker does not assume any responsibility for errors, omissions, or contrary interpretations of the subject matter discussed during the program, and in no event will the speaker of this webcast be liable for any decision made or action taken in reliance upon the information provided. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. I'm your host, Dr. Merrill. If you are a caregiver for a parent, a spouse, a child, a grandchild, or even an uncle or a grandmother, then Caught Between Generations is the show for you. You don't have the time to listen to multiple shows and read material from lots of different sources. You need one source for the information needed to manage all of these people in your life. I know this personally. I'm a mother, a grandmother, and as an adult daughter, I care for my own mother in my home, following her having a very dense stroke. I was caught between generations. It's not easy, but we can help. On Caught Between Generations, we will be discussing all things multi-generational with practical tips you can use right now to make your life easier. I hope you'll be able to feel more peaceful, more organized, and more informed by listening to our interviews with guests who have experience in dealing with multiple generations. You are listening to Caught Between Generations, and I am your host, Dr. Merrill. On today's show, we are going to be discussing retirement planning. Oh, I can hear you now. I can't listen to one more show about retirement planning. Well, our guest has a very interesting take on this subject, especially for us baby boomers. Her feeling is that as women, especially, we have not paid enough attention to making sure that we are protected and prepared financially for retirement. If you're a woman, you will want to listen to this. And if you're a man who has a wife or a mother about whom you care, you will want to listen also. Our guest today is Marsha Mantel. Marsha was the Vice President of Retirement for Fidelity Trust. She holds a Retirement Management Analyst designation and is an active member of the Retirement Income Industry Association, where she heads up consumer initiatives. Marsha is the author of Retirement Planning for Women. She is going to help us focus on planning for retirement at a time when we are so busy that it just seems easier to put it off or to let someone else handle it. Welcome, Marsha. Thank you, Meryl. I'm delighted to be joining the show today. Oh, well, thank you. So let me just be frank. There is a lot of information available on retirement planning. Why did you write this book? Well, it is a great question and one I asked myself about before I endeavored on this. You know, there is a lot of information, but what I find is that it, it falls in a couple of camps. One is it's all very long. So it's 200 or 300 or 400 pages worth of you know, great information, 
but it's very long. So how do I fit that into my busy day? And the other tends to be very technical. Things that come from the financial services general point of view, it's all correct. It's all wonderful. But if you don't love this stuff, you don't love to sit down and think about your finances and retirement. If it doesn't fit into your day there, I just didn't find anything that was working for women like me. You know, I'm busy. I have kids. I have parents. I have in-laws. And I wanted something that was a little more fun. And frankly, it would get women moving forward with the conversations. Yeah, I thought that the fun part of it was very good because I must admit when I read about financial planning or retirement planning, it makes me a little anxious. You know, I I can read very technical material. When one starts talking about financial, I don't know why it is. It makes me uneasy. I think it does for everyone and, and maybe women especially, or at least we admit it more readily. Um, it, it's There's a language. There's a whole language. There's a, this whole animal, you know, underneath the financial services industry, the financial services world. And if you're not in that, if this isn't what you do every day, I think it's very hard to embrace it otherwise. And for me, I make it akin to a car. You know, what do you do when you get in your car? You know, you put the key in, you turn it on, you push the button and it starts, whatever. And it just goes. I don't need to know how the engine is built. I know it's very sophisticated. They're very smart people who build these engines to do what they need to do. I just put gas in, turn the key and go. And it's very hard to do that in finances if you don't do it every day. So I think that's part of our our problem getting into it. And it does make you anxious. Well, and you also brought up the important point, and that is we're all very, very busy, especially women, as we're dealing with multiple generations. So what really is the best way to fit retirement planning and financial management into our daily lives? You're right. We are so busy, and I think it's largely unrecognized how busy and draining the the level of – it's not busy, always fun busy – it's responsibility and obligation. So by the time we get to a point in the day where we can sit down, and that might be seven or eight or nine o'clock at night, we are spent. So I, I thought long and hard about this when writing the book, or trying to articulate it. It's like, what can women do to get in the game better? So there are a few ideas, and each person will have to figure out what works for them. But one of them is to use tax time better. Taxes happen. You know, we, April 15th always comes on April 15th. So we may as well leverage that period of time where you're angst-ridden anyway with money and taxes, use it to plan your retirement and do that once a year touch base. For me, um, my husband and I found we we could not talk civilly between the two of us. With the kids running around and somebody's got to get the pizza and the doorbell's ringing and the cats are, you know, in the way. So we found it just happened one Fourth of July weekend, we were home by ourselves. Hooray, the kids were at camp. We ended up using that weekend out on the back porch to just sit down and walk through our financial picture, our retirement picture, and what did we even want it to do? And we found that was so relaxing that we do it every year on the Fourth of July weekend. So not where everyone would want to spend their time, but you know, so whatever weekend you could maybe carve out. The other thing that works for a lot of women is um, shorter amounts of time more frequent. So whether it's once a month, you plan Tuesday night, the third Tuesday of every month will be retirement and finance night. 
and then you just carve that out. It's on your calendar and don't schedule other things over it. Or even more, what I'd love for all of us to get to do is that 30 minutes a day of reading. Just stay in the game every day. Learn a little bit new every day so that then when tax time comes, you're sort of already in the mindset of money and finances and whatnot. So a lot of different methods, but short amount of time or little bits every day. You know, those are very good suggestions, Marsha. And it makes me think through something that I, I've taught people to do that actually I hadn't thought about until this moment um, in terms of planning and uh, for, you know, for retirement. And that is, I would tell couples, if you're going to have a discussion about something you think may be intense, all right, mm-hmm. and one person or the other may have very strong feelings about it, Plan to do it in a public place because when you're in a restaurant or in a public place, the other person is not so inclined to start screaming or shouting or pushing away from the table. <laughs> they they behave. <laughs> That's right. No throwing of the water glass or anything. Right. So you can, you can stay more focused on what you need to be talking about. Um, and if, you'll, if you can write it down so that you're both looking at a piece of paper and looking at, you know, letters on paper rather than facing each other necessarily, sometimes it actually works a lot better. So I just wanted to add that to what you, your great suggestions. So – is retirement planning different for married women versus women that are single? I think retirement planning is very different. I was just at a conference last week with a lot of financial advisors, and one of the, the coaching phrases I used with them is women as a category is not a segment. And you need to think about your women clients in every walk of life, every role they're playing. So if you're a married woman, you play a particular role in your family. And it may be on the financial side that you're the accountant or the budgeter or the cash flow monitor, but he might be the investor. So it's how do you bring those two very different skills together when maybe it's been a 35-year marriage and you really have never talked about these things? So that's you know the situation for, for married women. Or the married women may be very much uh, in lockstep with their husbands and doing everything together. So each marriage is different. Now, if you're single, the biggest thing with being single, for whatever reason you're single, um, divorced, always single, widowed, you have self-reliance in retirement. You're really only going to have your own wherewithal and your own financial picture to rely on. So you have to be, I call it that much smarter. Um, You've got to figure things out a little bit earlier in in the game and not wait longer because you just don't have someone else's income to rely on. So it, it can be hard. And it, there are a lot of, um, what I call them, not really tricky rules, but just complexities with being single if you're divorced. When it comes to Social Security, for example, you can actually claim oftentimes on your ex's record so long as you were married for 10 years or longer. So there's like these little hidden gems that pop up, but you have to know about them. Well, how are you going to find out about them? You have to do your homework. So it, it's it's harder and it's all on you rather than shared responsibility. So is there a difference between women in retirement planning that have children versus women who do not have children? I mean, besides the fact that the women without children, no offense, have more money, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> Very often they do. I know, and I, I remark that you know the women who are married and have children should really learn from the the single ladies playbook. Like they've got some really cool things to uh, to have in their advantage. But yeah, children is when I segment, if you will, the women or think about women, I pick. Uh, children is the very first layer. So first you're a woman, then you're a mom or you're not a mom. And then you're a wife, you know, in that order. And that's really because once you make the decision or the decisions made to have children, you're on a completely different path for your entire life. And I, I was remarking to my husband, we're empty nesters. This is our second year, just dropped off the younger one for her sophomore year in college. And we love empty nesting. We think it's just great fun. But I re I'm remarkably shocked how much I still spend the time with my kids. I just do it over Skype or on the phone. And I really thought, boy, once they're gone, you know, freedom. Well, <laughs> there's no freedom. <laughs> so I think with women who chose not to have children, uh, they do have a lot more freedom in a lot of regards. And, you know, sometimes... The, the grass can look greener. Mm -hmm. I think we each kind of wish for a little bit more of what the other has, but um, either path is great. So, Marsha, you work with financial institutions and women actually across the country. Uh, why are women, do you think, so hesitant about discussing the financial side of retirement? Oh, you know, women and money. This is this is tough, and you may have seen in the book. I. I use the phrase, we talk about a lot of M-word topics. I mean, we talk about our mothers, we talk about our marriages, about motherhood, we talk about mammograms and menopause. But boy, if you bring up money, nobody wants to talk to you any longer. <laughs> so it's so interesting. I think part of it is sort of built into our culture. I see it in the high school, uh, in our local high school, the girls, when there's a money project, the girls could not run further away faster. And the boys love it. I don't know if it's the competitive spirit or whatnot. Um, it might be because our, our time is so is directed so differently from the time we're, we're little kids. Um, we also don't take the opportunities, I think, to embrace money topics. We don't hear it from our moms. We certainly don't hear it from our grandmothers. So we just haven't grown up in that culture. And then all of a sudden you're on your own. My older daughter's 24, living on her own in California. And oh, what a shock when she's on her own having to you know, make ends meet with her paycheck. So all of a sudden you might get thrown into it. But then when you get married, things can revert into a very different hmm. division of labor. I think lots of reasons. But I guess my, my big call out to women, no matter what your age life stage, how much money you have, doesn't matter. If you can start the conversations, at least with your own children, we're going to start to break this big chasm in our language and in our culture. We need to empower, especially our girls, to be ready for financial realities. That's interesting, actually. I had never thought about that it's very important to educate younger women. We mentor them and educate them about a lot, you know, our daughters, our granddaughters. But actually, until this moment, I hadn't thought about the fact that we don't seem to talk to them about money issues and financial issues. And I think you're very right. We need to start doing that. Let's talk a little bit about credit history, um, because many women I know whether they're professionals, they, they have businesses, whatever, many of them really do not have their own credit history. 
Um, and they don't even realize that they don't have their own credit history. That's the key piece. And I'll tell you why I put that chapter in the book. Um, I was about 45 years old. My older daughter was 16 or 17 and getting ready to go on a trip to China. And so I wanted her to have a credit card as a backup. And as a minor, you know, there has to be a parent on the account first. So I went to my local bank and I said, oh, I'd like to add Katie onto the credit card. And the very nice young man there said, well, Mrs. Mantel, you don't have a credit card. It's like, what do you mean? I have it right here in my wallet. And as he looked it up, this is 30 years of marriage at this point. And he said, uh, this is Daniel's credit card, my also wonderful husband. You're an authorized user. It's like, oh, my gosh. I use that credit card. I pay every bill. It's my credit card but not in the eyes of the financial world. What a wake up call. So needless to say, I have my own credit cards in my own name. And this is one of those things when you're married, especially when you're married, you have no idea that this card you've been using for 20, 25 years is his. Not that that was a bad thing. It's just back when we opened that card, that was the option. There weren't joint owners. There was a single owner with authorized users attached. So checking that out, checking your own record under your social security number and your name, it's really important for women to do. I think we'll all be shocked when we see what's on the credit agency's records. I, I thought that was a, an, an excellent point. I, I had the experience many, many years ago of my husband had left. He was flying to California. Uh, I went to the bank. Um, to cash a check. And she said to me, I'm really sorry, but there's no money in this account. And I said, what are you talking about? I know there is money in that account. And she said, there's not. And she said, well, you have to call your husband. And I said, my husband's on a plane. Now I have my children with me. And in front of my children, she said, oh, honey, you know, sometimes that happens when men leave, they empty the accounts. I, I was just beside myself, and I had no idea what was going on. And so as it turns out, about an hour later, my husband was switching planes, and he called me, and he said, I just have a feeling something's wrong. Is there anything wrong? And I said, yes, Frank, supposedly this, this account has been emptied. I have no access to cash. I have no access to anything. And so he ended up calling the bank. What they had done is, and this was many years ago, he had paid a credit card, and instead of withdrawing $3,000, they had withdrawn $30,000 and completely emptied the account and overdrew it. But that was a wake-up call to me that I needed to have sources of cash that I could access that were absolutely my own and did not have his name on it. Yes. Isn't that – it's stunning when it happens to you. It absolutely it, is. And it's just well, shocking. Marsha, let's talk about Social Security. And, you know, should we start taking it at age 62? Actually, will it still be there? That's everyone's question. <laughs> that is everyone's <laughs> question. I have to tell you, I'm a big believer that, yes, it will be there. Now, if you're 30, you want to keep watching this over your next 35 years. But anyone who's 50 and older should feel pretty safe and secure that there's going to be a safety net, Social Security, for you in retirement. But will it look exactly the way it looks today? Probably not. So two big points on, well, three big points on Social Security. The first is stick with the facts, not with all the hoopla that you hear out there. 
And the best place to get the facts is on Social Security's website under the Our Agency tab. And they put all the information about the trust fund and any legislation that's going on. That's a great primary resource. The second thing about Social Security, if you are really close to your full retirement age, the estimates you're getting on your statements are probably quite close. You can count on those for your retirement planning. But if you're in your 50s, um, I'm recommending that people look at Social Security in two layers. The first is what is showing on your statement today. And the second is to cut that amount by 25%. Because that's the, the shortfall in the trust fund right now. So with all the changes that will likely come before we reach our full retirement age, I'd say run two plans. And can you make it in your, social, in your retirement if your Social Security is cut by 25%? Just as a model, that's something to consider. And the third big piece is really, really think hard if you're going to claim at 62. You are locking yourself into a nice, permanent, forever, huge pay cut from Social Security, 25 to 30%, depending on your full retirement age. So then the next cut, I think, is it 67? Is it? If you're born in 1960 or later. And then 70. So are you recommending that people, if they can, wait until they're 70 or should they take it in, in their mid-60s? Yeah, I, I recommend that everyone do the math for themselves. So what I mean by that is look at your statement as a starting point and see those three numbers. The earliest time you can take it, your full retirement age, and at age 70, as you mentioned, that's the maximum amount you're entitled to, to receive. After 70, you don't get any more. Then take a look at when you might really want to retire or when you might need that income. Can you wait until full retirement age? That's your optimal amount. Lots of people want to work longer. If you are one of those people, waiting till 70 might work for you. If you're like me and you really don't want to work longer, I might, but that's not my plan. I want to at least get to full retirement age. And then if you're part of a married couple or you filed jointly, You've got some other strategies, so you might be able to tap a little earlier if your spouse is going to work longer. It's a little more complicated for the married couples. Hmm. Okay. So what is the best retirement legacy you think we can leave for the next generation of women? Oh, isn't that a good question? Um, I think the best thing we can do, as we talked a little bit earlier, is talk to our girls. But then people say, well, what are you going to talk about? I lead with the mistakes. Not everyone maybe wants to do that. If you're wildly successful, you might lead with that. I'm regular successful. You know, I've had a nice career. We have a nice home. Um, we're regular, like I think most people. So what am I trying to do for my girls? I'm trying to make them very comfortable with understanding money, the power of money, but also the trade-offs. And they need to understand for retirement planning, Starting sooner is better. So my 24-year-old is very actively involved in her 401k at her company. And she has a nice, tidy little amount already in there. So it's understanding the plan if you're working and have a 401k or 403b. And we talk about that. It's talking about her budget, talking about credit and credit cards and how it can really work against you. Um, it's all those kinds of things. But at the end of the game, Retirement is so far away for our young people. It's almost like, are you crazy? That's 40 years or longer. Why are you talking to me? 
but it's because we made mistakes and we don't want those girls to make the same mistakes. Let them stand on our shoulders and go for the bigger opportunities that our generation opened for them. And one of those big things is empower them about money. So that's, I'd, I'd really like the conversations to start. Hmm. At Caught Between Generations, we're all about quick tips. So hmm. please share with us some quick pointers and retirement planning tips that busy women can successfully do. Well, thank you for asking. My favorite is plan for the party and the price tag. So women are the party planners of the family. We do the holidays, we do the weddings, you name it, we do it. But we forget to look at the price tag. So you now need to combine them, especially as you're moving into retirement. So that's one of my favorites. Um, another is that this is a journey, not a weekend getaway. You know, planning for retirement just, well, you know, my husband and I use once a year a weekend to talk to each other in this very nice and calm manner and write things down, as you suggest. It's over many years that our plan has actually evolved. So you need to know that it's, it's this journey or a marathon. You can't sit on the sidelines. That is just not what women can do any longer. The, the world really around us has changed so much. The financial world, um, needing to have your own credit history, um, pension plans, those kinds of things going away. It's incumbent upon us women to not sit on the sidelines. So get in, get in the game. Even if you don't like the game, we need to learn to play it. And probably the last thing is, um, oh, I would say reinvent. Reinvent yourself. Be ready for the retirement years, making the best years. And again, it doesn't start when you retire. When you, you know, I quit my job today, walked out the door. So now I'll think about it tomorrow. Think about it earlier so you have time for reinvention and then discovering who you want to be. Marcia, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, actually, I thought I knew a lot about retirement planning, but I, I found your book very, very helpful. Um, and it was easy to read, which was a real advantage. Um, how do people get in touch with, touch with you? Are you on social media? How do the listeners get your book? Oh, well, thank you for the compliments. I really appreciate that. Yes, they can get the book on Amazon.com. It's What's the Deal with Retirement Planning for Women, or they can just search my name, Marsha Mantel. And yes, I'm on social media. Twitter's my favorite, uh, at Marsha Mantel. And I also have a Facebook page and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really enjoyed it, and it was extremely helpful and useful information. Thank you. Thank you so much. My takeaway today is a technique for accomplishing these types of priorities. All of us keep some kind of schedule book, whether it be electronic or paper. I want you to schedule time to accomplish these tasks. Anne Morrow Lindbergh, in her book, Gifts from the Sea, discusses how women handle their personal appointments. If a friend called you and asked you to go to lunch with them next Tuesday, and you had, for example, a doctor's appointment, you would simply say, you're sorry, but you can't make it because of this appointment. However, if what you had scheduled was time to accomplish a personal goal, such as calculating how much you will need for retirement, most of the time we will simply say, oh, fine, and you will cancel that appointment with yourself. What I want you to do is actually schedule time to accomplish important tasks associated with your own life goals such as retirement. I want you to schedule at least one hour this coming week for yourself. 
Just an hour. That's all. I know you can keep an appointment. I know you can do this for yourself. I am Dr. Merrill, and you've been listening to Caught Between Generations.